Let's, let's pray together as we stand. Father, please, please speak to us this afternoon. Please speak to us now. Calm our hearts, clear our minds, and help us to hear your voice as you speak to us from this wonderful passage from the Sermon of the Mount. Show us what it means to be salt and light in this world. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. Um, as Linda explained, we are currently working through um, a little section in, in Matthew's Gospel. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so Matthew chapter, chapters 5 to 7, which we've been working through. We started last week, actually. So if you've got a Bible to hand, um, please do take it up. If it's on your phone, if you have a physical Bible, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And if you're new to the globe, um, this is what we ordinarily do. We just like to work through books of the Bible, sections of the Bible, to hear from God's Word, to see, um, to see what he, he speaks of and what he tells us. Uh, and this is a wonderful section in, in the Bible. Uh, as Jesus here, he basically gives a sermon. Um, and so we're going to try and unpack a, a little bit of that this afternoon. So turn to chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. So a little short section. Let me read it. You are salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If, you're, if you would call yourself a Christian here this afternoon, let me ask you a question. Do people around you, do people, your friends and your family, do they know that you're a Christian? Hopefully many of you will be able to say, yeah, they, they definitely know I'm a Christian. But here's the question that the passage asks us. Do people see that you are a Christian? Do they see it? When you spend time with them, can they taste the Christianness in your life? When I talk to my friends who don't believe in Jesus, their assumption is that Christians should be good, good people. Now, as Christians, we know that the gospel is much, much richer than that. Yet, at the same time, this passage would suggest that should also be true. A pastor said, a young man came to him and said, uh, they'd love to sit and learn from them as much as they can, glean all their knowledge. Do you know what the pastor said? He said, look, don't sit in my lectures, just come and live with me and our family, just watch how we live. Just imagine if your friend was to live with you and follow you around absolutely everywhere, watch your interactions, your conversations, your relationships with people, how you spend your time, what would they say of you? I find that a challenging thought. See, we started this series in the Sermon on the Mount last week, and we thought about this idea of Jesus bringing in a revolution. As Jesus steps into this world, as he starts his ministry, he utters those first words, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus begins a revolution, and he starts to outline the vision and the values of his kingdom, as we saw captured in the Beatitudes last week. And those values of God's kingdom are going to collide with the values of the world, of the kingdom of this world. But the, th the point that Jesus is saying is this. It's not enough just to know about those values. Revolution must lead to action. And that's the point of this passage. Jesus' revolution calls people and transforms people to live radically tra transformed lives. 
to live in different ways. The new kingdom and its values are not just an idea that sits in our heads or on our bookshelves, but it establishes our identity, our allegiance, and this flows down into our hands and our feet. It transforms how we live. It's like switching allegiance from, I don't know, like Sainsbury's to Lidl. Suddenly it's not all orange, but it's about blue and yellow. You don't carry your Nectar card, but you have your Lidl Plus card. Do people know this? Is it just me? Well, you get shaped by what you eat in those supermarkets. Sainsbury's own. Taste the difference versus peak harvest and little deluxe. Then you're suddenly always talking about people, to telling people about the middle aisle. Have you seen the middle aisle? There's all this random stuff that nobody ever needs, but it's all there. Even to the point that I sometimes feel really guilty walking into little with a bright orange Sainsbury's bag, bag of life. Do you, do you feel that? So much more so with the kingdom of God. The children of God live with the values of God's kingdom, the eternal kingdom, with the vision of Jesus in view. And we are called to live those values out in our lives, not just in the future, but today, now, because Jesus rules today. Now, when we thought about this word of revolution, we thought, oh, we need to be careful. It can sound quite violent. We've seen that throughout human history. And in context, if you look, just flick your eyes just above, Jesus, at the end of the Beatitudes, just spoke about how if you live with kingdom values, you will be persecuted. And at that point, you might be thinking, okay, well, if we're going to be persecuted, then surely we need to fight back. And you might think that's okay for Jesus to say, stand up for your rights, hold your ground. But Jesus' kingdom is radically different. It's revolutionary, even in its call to action. It's not a call to arms or violence of any kind. No, it's much more immersive, much more dynamic and impactful than that. Jesus calls his people to be salt and light. Now, those two things don't seem to be the right ingredients for a revolution. It's like those impossible riddles. You've got a salt shaker and a torch, and you need to change the world. How are you going to do that? It's impossible, except when Jesus is our king. And it's really important when when we hear this passage that we have Christ our king in full view, He frames it for us in this passage. What does it mean to be salt and light? Now, as I read it, it's a short passage, but did you notice there are these two little words that carry so much weight? I wonder if you notice them. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. Two words. You are. Pretty simple, but pretty profound. Because this means that, firstly, Jesus isn't calling us to become salt and light. But he says, no, you are salt and light. That is really important because this isn't about how you enter into God's kingdom to be a part of the revolution. We know this from the rest of Matthew and from Scripture. It is only by faith through the blood of Christ that we can enter into the kingdom. It's only trusting in the works of Jesus that we can be called a child of God. It's his his works that justify it. That's what makes us right before God. That is why Jesus says, look, you don't become salt and light, but you are salt and light. If you trust in Jesus, if you follow Jesus with your heart, soul, and mind, then he gives us this status, this identity, that you are in the kingdom of God and you are salt and light. It's not like a school uniform that you put on and off when you go in and out of the kingdom. Saltness and lightness, if you want to think of it this way, they're in our blood, they're in our lungs, they're in our hearts. It's part of who we are now in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is simply calling us to live that reality out. Which ties to the second thing. Jesus isn't calling us to be something that we aren't. 
He doesn't call us to arms and say, you've got to all become these super evangelists or become fluent in Greek and Hebrew or become incredible songwriters or great chefs. He simply, he simply says this, look, this is who you are. You are now in my kingdom. You are now part of my revolution. You are now part of the family of God as God's daughter, as God's son. And I just want you to live that reality out. In other words, he's just simply saying, look, be proud that you're a child of God. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, I'm just an, I'm just an ordinary person. I don't really stand out in a crowd. What could I really do? What could Jesus do through me? And that's the beauty of salt and light. Salt and light, they are very ordinary things. They are everyday items. The whole world knows what those two things are. Cross any culture and you ask them, salt and light, they know what it is. But salt and light have an effect every time they are used. It's like us, because we now live with these values of Jesus' kingdom, because we have his spirit in us and we grow to be more like him, we will have an effect on this world. It's not supposed to be a burden. Jesus isn't asking us to become something we are not. He's simply saying, you're a citizen of my kingdom. I've saved you, I've called you, so live where you are right now with Jesus' kingdom values. Whether you have loads of energy and time or you find that you're limited due to your circumstances, being salt and light is something that every follower of Christ can do. So let's, let's think about this a little bit. Let's dive into a little bit more. Okay, what does it mean to be salt? Okay, salt if you think about salt for a minute, salt pervades and affects everything that to do with food, right? It's so common, it has its own line in the nutritional information that you have on food boxes. Salt is important because it affects things. Whenever you put it on something, it does something to it. Now, in those times, salt had two big functions, and we sort of still have them today. The first is that it preserves. Before, before people had fridges, what did they have? They would pickle things and cure things to keep them going for as long as they could. And the main ingredient in that was what? Salt. We do it still today. We use it to cure salami and biltong for my South African friends. If you've never tried it, it's great. If you're a vegan, don't go there. But then you can pickle chili peppers and onions, even eggs. It stops the process of rotting. It preserves, it prolongs the life of whatever is being salted. It sort of has this function of cleansing and protecting. It's a Bible that we see in the, it's a Bible idea as well. We see it in Judges 9. 45, or Ezekiel 16.4, where salt is used to cleanse the land, to cleanse people. Preservation, that is one of the functions of God's people today. As those of God's kingdom, we are sprinkled across the world to help to preserve it, to slow down the moral decay, the corrupt ungodliness that is seen around us. Because that corruption and decay, it's been a pattern of humanity ever since the first revolution against God that we saw in Genesis chapter 3. When humans said, we don't want God to be our king. We don't want to live under his good rule. We want our own kingdom. And ever since then, humanity has lived under cursing instead of blessing. Well, now as Jesus begins his revolution, he says, look, God has called a people to himself who are now blessed by Jesus because of Jesus. And so we take that blessedness into the cursedness of this world. We infiltrate and permeate into the corruption to protect and cleanse it. We live with these identity, the identity of the beatitudes that we saw last week. We hunger and thirst for righteousness where there isn't. When people are merciless, we stand for mercy. When people are proud and trample all over others, we stand to be meek, 
not weak, but meek, and to look to raise other people up. And as we live that way, we slow down. We can sometimes even stop some of the moral decay and corruption that we can too often see in this world. The second function of salt is that of seasoning. So you had preserving, and now you've got seasoning. Who loves eating chips or fries? A lot of people. Uh, who salts their chips? Most people. Who, anyone put vinegar on it? Yeah, all you Brits. That's right. So only a British thing. But, but like, you get it. Chips taste so different when you have nothing on them. They are stodgy. They are bland. Just a pinch of salt or a grain of salt if you're not from the UK. Salt is so simple. Just a little bit is all you need, and yet it's so powerful. It can change the flavor of pretty much any dish. Salt is so ordinary. It just sits there on your table in a salt shaker, but it never leaves a dish unchanged. And it's like that with us. We are ordinary people. Some of you are spe spectacular, I know. I'm an ordinary person. But because of Christ, we can have a pervasive impact like salt. Jesus was an ordinary man from Nazareth. Isaiah says, look, there was nothing spectacular about him. When you looked at him physically, there's nothing great about him at all. And yet he salted the world as he walked it. Everywhere he went, people were left impacted and changed. They were blessed. They saw what it meant to see a God who is meek, leaving his place of glory to be with his creatures. They saw Jesus who mourned with them and wept with them, who is pure in heart, poor in spirit, who is perfectly righteous, who was even persecuted by his enemies. Lifted up on the cross, meek to the point of laying down his life, poor in spirit to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, there's the original source of salt, kingdom salt, ordinary, unassuming, but who came to turn the whole world upside down. And now he entrusts this saltiness to his followers, to us. We are called to take part in this revolution that he began and to season this world as those who walk in the image of Christ himself. This saltiness from Jesus that is in his followers brings out that flavor in humanity. As we live out the kingdom values, as we live out the beatitudes, can you see how it starts to bring the beauty of God, of his kingdom, for others to taste and see? People will start to encounter and see and glimpse the beauty of Jesus himself, of his mercy and his meekness, of his righteousness through us, through his people. They will see Christians who are so quick to reconcile and make peace, Christians who are humble and meek, quick to be last so others are first, to see others succeed and grow and flourish. Christians who speak with words seasoned with grace. Paul picks up on that in Colossians, Colossians 4. Words that are truthful, that will challenge rightly but gently, that will encourage, that will build up. Words that provide people with comfort, with hope, with security. Do you start to see the depth of this illustration of salt that Jesus uses? It has these profound impacts of preserving and seasoning that can really impact the world. Now, I was thinking about this. This is a perfect illustration in my world, anyway. Does anyone know what kimchi is? Yeah, I'm from Korea. Kimchi is like our national dish. If you don't know what it is, you get this Chinese leaf. You, then what you do is you just pour loads of salt all over it and you leave it for ages in water, salty water. And then you put lots of other stuff in, and then you can eat it for days and weeks, and it just tastes amazing. Like, that's the thing with kimchi. You put all this salt in it, and it preserves it. It lasts for a long time, but then you, it's seasoned. It tastes amazing. For some of you, it might be an acquired taste. 
Um, keep going. If you have never tried it, keep going. It'll grow on you. You'll see the light. If it's going to help you remember the sermon today, then every time you see kimchi, just think, salt and light. Let me be salty. Live out those kingdom values. Kimchi. Kimchi. Sorry, I don't know. I'm lost here. I've, I've lost it. Where am I going with this? Right. Kimchi. Let's be like kimchi. We're, uh, okay. We are those who live out these kingdom values, right? Christ-like lives that both slow down the process of decay and corruption in this world, but also give this beautiful seasoning that Christ brings through us. Don't lose that saltiness. Did you hear that in verse 13? Jesus says, look, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salted again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt becoming unsalty, it just doesn't make sense, but salt can become corrupt. Imagine a container of salt that becomes mixed with sugar that completely overpowers it. Looks very similar, but the effect of the salt has gone. Let's not lose our saltiness by becoming overcome by the sweetness that this world tries to offer. We've seen how that worked out for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. The fruit of the world will always look pleasing to the eye, always look sweet, but it will ultimately lead to empty promises and brokenness. Be salty, be kimchi. Let me come back to that question at the start. Do people around you see that you are salty? Are you seeing the impact that living with such kingdom values would have on this city, on this world today? Picture living salty lives among your friends, among your family, your colleagues, your neighborhood. You live with them long enough and you know, and we, we all know, we can't hide the spiritual and moral corruption of our hearts. Sooner or later, people's hearts will reveal their pride, their impure motives, their corruption, their self-centeredness, their desire to trample over others. But then sprinkle that group with a Christ follower, a person who lives like Christ. They would salt that corruption and confront that decay with genuineness, a person of integrity and love, with other-centeredness who doesn't trample over others but raises them up, who seeks righteousness, honesty, purity in how they relate with other people. Other times there are people around us we know who desperately need care. They will be oppressed, they will mourn, they will desire mercy. Sprinkle that situation with a salty Christ follower. What happens? They will show mercy and fight for mercy like Jesus did. They will weep and mourn with those who mourn. Somebody who's meek, who uses their power and authority to serve others who are in need. That is what it looks like to be salty. Do you see how living like that can slow down some of the corruption that we see in this world around us today while it also brings out the flavor so people can taste and glimpse of what it might be like to live in the kingdom of God? You can sort of summarize it all. This, I could have done this in like five minutes. Christians are called to make the world a better place, if you want to think of it like that. To help others, to love others, to bless, bless others just as Christ did. Here's a quote from someone I was reading. To try to improve society is not worldliness, but love. To wash your hands of society is not love, but worldliness. It's challenging. Let me try and push this image further for us. Don't just picture a pinch of salt, but just look at a whole container of salt being poured out across the city. We, as Globe Church, have been sprinkled across London. And there are other churches around us as well. Thousands of other Christians. 
Imagine people keep bumping into these, in, in this city constantly to salty Christians. Everywhere they go, they keep bumping into a salty Christian. And they start to notice how di- distinct they are, how different they are. Would they not be impacted and affected to think, why do they live that way? Look back on the history of Christianity. In this great city, in this great country, so many charities, orphanages, schools, hospitals established. By who? Loads of Christians. Why? Because that generation wanted to be salty. And I wonder if we've lost some of that today in our generation. We rightly want to focus on our status before God. Great. But there is a call for us to be salt in this world. So I'd love us as a church to pray big. Where is God calling us to be salt this week? What about longer term? Where is God calling you to be salty in parts of the city with the people that you spend time with? Let's go, let's preserve, let's season, let's be kimchi. Don't sit in our salt shakers. Don't lose our saltiness. Let's be salt. The thing is though, Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He goes on to say we are light. This is going to be a bit shorter. These two things have to come together. So let's think about light for a minute. What does it mean to be light? Again, like salt, light is just a common thing that we don't even think twice about until when? When we don't have it. When we're plunged into darkness, then you start to suddenly realize how powerful light is. Light is revolutionary. I'd say every time you turn on light, it starts a revolution against darkness. When you go home tonight, turn on the light and just watch the revolution happen in your room. The room's transformed. And Jesus is saying, look, you, my people, you are the light of the world. Linda opened that service with that prophecy from Isaiah and Matthew 4, that the light was coming on those living in the land of the shadow of death. So here is that revolution that starts with Christ Jesus himself. His light will permeate and pervade the kingdom of the world, one that is filled with darkness. This spiritual darkness reveals itself in the darkness that we see around us, that we see as all that's wrong in the world. A world that sits under the shadow of death, a reality that nobody can escape. And here comes the light of the world. Jesus comes to shed light on that darkness, to shed light on the mess that we are in, to shine a torch on the dirt of sin in our hearts and our separation from God, to light up every corner of the world to show the extent of the brokenness caused by our revolution against God. But he not only does that to show us the issue, but he also lights up the way. He points us, look, this is where you need to go. He steps into the light of the world and says, look, this is the world living in the shadow of death. Come to me. I am the light of life. Find life in me. His word declares the revolution. His body and blood completes the revolution. Turning curse to blessing, sorrow to joy, death to life. By becoming cursed for us. By being crowned as a man of sorrows. By taking death on for us. And here's a light of the world that comes, that declares war on sin and death, and he wins. That is the story of the gospel. And that same light comes to us, to his followers, to say, you, you are the light of this world now. You are now in Christ, and Christ lives in you. He is your king. You who live in the kingdom of God are light. So don't, whatever you do, hide it. Don't hide it under a bowl. That defies the very essence of what light is for. But be like the city on the hill. Like the lights of London that you can never switch off. If you've moved to London, if you live in London, 
I'm pretty sure from wherever you are, you will probably be able to see this little thing sticking out in the, in, the top of, in the top of the skyline of London, which is the shard, forever lighting up the night sky. Never turns off. Be like that. Just like it is with salt, being light is the very essence of who we are as Christians. We are light, so let that shine. Follow the pattern of Jesus. We live as lights that show what's wrong in this world, to show the spiritual darkness that sits under the shadow of death, but we also point to the hope that is Jesus. Does anyone remember the story of the Chilean miners in 2010? Do people remember that? 33 miners who spent 69 days underground, stuck in darkness. They knew they were in loads of trouble. They couldn't see how bad it was for them or how dirty they were. But as the rescuers came and shone a light, they could see all the things that were wrong around them, the mess that they were in, the depths of their situation, the dirt that they were covered in. But it wasn't only that. They saw the light and saw that's the way we need to go. It's like that with us. We want people to see the depths of the trouble that they are in, but through that we want them to be drawn to the light of hope that is in Christ. We aren't the light of the world that's to save the world but we point to the only hope we have, to the light that defeats darkness and the shadow of death, that is Jesus. Let me just say, if you're not a Christian here this afternoon, you're so, so welcome here. It's great that you're here. But I wonder if this does resonate with you. Maybe you're here because somebody was salty with you or shone a light to you. Maybe you're here because you wanted to find out why is it that they lived that way. Well, then here it is. It's Jesus. He's the light that you need. Keep coming back to him. Find out more about him. Ask me. Ask others. There is so much more we want to show you about him. Let me close. Let me start to wrap this up. What does it mean that we are light in verse 16? Do you see that? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, for some of us who've been Christians for a while, we think, ah, oh, being light means we need to just preach and proclaim the gospel. That's our expectation. But did you hear what Jesus said? How are you light? By doing good deeds. It's more than just using our mouths. It's our whole lives. We are to use our mouths, our hands, and our feet to live out our faith, to live the way of Christ in our saltiness, as we explored a few moments ago, to act, to, good do, to, to, to do good to those around us. But we need to be careful. We don't diminish what Jesus teaches. Look, making the world a better place as salt and light is a great, great thing we are called to do. But our preserving and seasoning salty role, our light in the darkness role, is never meant to be an end in itself. It's a spillover of living in for Christ. But we must go further. The world may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's where we go. I'm just going to put something out there just to, just to finish. It's an interesting thought. I think there's something in this. I found one other person sort of saying this, so I thought, okay, I'll go with that. As Jesus preaches this, I actually think Jesus has the temple in view. The other place that you see salt and light together is in the Old Testament, in the temple. As you brought sacrifices to the temple, you would salt them. It symbolizes you preserving and seasoning them to dedicate them to God. It was actually called the covenant of salt in Numbers 18. And that symbolized the eternal preservation and seasoning of the covenant between God and his people. That led to people coming to glorify and worship God. And the light, well, there was that lamp 
that was to be lit continually as a reminder of God's presence. God always present with his people. And I wonder that's what we're supposed to see here. See, in Christ today, where is his temple? Who's his body? It's his church, not the building, but us, his people. And he calls us to be salt and light, to invite people into his temple. Do you see, as we live as salt and light, as we go out and shine, we are blessing people with our good deeds, with our kingdom-shaped value lives of service that not only has an impact on society, but are, are pointing, him, pointing people to God, to his kingdom, to say, look, come and worship him at his temple. Being salt and light is profoundly missional. We actually become the invitation for people to come and meet with Jesus, the same Jesus that we've met, to come and worship our Father in heaven, the same Father that we know, together with other believers in his temple. Revolution leads to action. And we do that by taking up good works. I'm pretty sure all of us could always be doing more to be salty and, and lighty in our lives. To grow in how we live out Christ-like lives. I think we need to see that these good works start by, by us living out the revolutionary kingdom values that we saw last week in the Beatitudes. It's about caring for others, for society, in this world, in salty and light-giving ways. It's not just a mouth in proclaiming the gospel truths, not just the hands and feet with sacrificial social action, but all of the above. We serve and we speak with our whole bodies and our lives. Let's preserve, let's season, and let's shine the gospel light of hope that leads people to glorify God. Where could we be doing this as a church? Where could we be doing more to stand up for justice and mercy for others who seek mercy? Where could we be a voice for the voiceless, protectors and providers for the vulnerable and those in need? That's why we have ministries like Weber Street and the International Cafe for the homeless and, and those who are coming from other countries. They're so invaluable. But in those, we don't just serve with our hands, but we try and speak the truth of light to them. But what more could we be doing as a church? There are so many places in London, people that seek righteousness, people that seek purity, people who mourn. Where could Christ be calling us to as a church to be salt and light? How about you, for you individually? We have people around us in all sorts of situations. Where could you be salt and light to them? Are you in a work situation that is bending the rules that you know that are wrong? Do you need to be salty in that situation? Do you see your friends living out proud, proud lives, looking down on others? Do you need to be salt and speak up to them? Are you caught in a tense situation between people who have fallen out? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. How could you be salt in seeking reconciliation and forgiveness and light and saying, look, that's where you find it in Christ, true reconciliation? Or maybe God is calling you elsewhere. Perhaps you need to look beyond London. Pray into those situations and ask God to show you more of Jesus, how he dealt with such situations, and ask through the power of the Holy Spirit that we could all grow and keep going to be salt and light in whatever situation we find ourselves this week. Let me close by just encouraging us to do this this week. If, if you're finding it hard, I don't know where to go with this. I'm not sure where I can be salt and light right now. Every day this week, as you get up, as you, the first thing you do, just pray this. Lord, help me to be salt. Lord, help me to be light this week to somebody. 
in a situation, whatever situation you place me in today, this week, help me to be salt, help me to be light, and see what God does. And let's pray that and live that out so that many more would come to glorify our God, to glorify our Father, our Savior, through our salty, light-giving lives. And we do this for his glory. Amen. Let me give us some time to pray. Perhaps you, need to, perhaps you need to pray that prayer right now. Just say, look, Lord, I'm not sure, but help me to be salty. Let, show me what it means to be salt and to be light in the situations that you've placed me in. Perhaps you know of a specific situation that, that you need to, to do that this week. Perhaps you need to start thinking about the city and London. Where, where has God placed me to be salty and lighty? Perhaps even beyond that. Let me give us a moment just to, just to pray to him in the quietness of our hearts to ask him to show us where to be salt and light. Father, your word is truly challenging and convicting in so many ways and yet so comforting to know that we don't go out to be salt and light in our own strength, but we go in because Christ has called us to be, because Christ is with us, because Christ has shown us what it means to be salt and light. Father, would you enable us by your spirit to be salt and light this week? In whatever situation you place us in, Father, help us to be those who are salty. Help us to be those who, who shine a light and point people to the hope that is in Christ Jesus so that people can come to worship you at your temple to glorify you, our great Father in heaven. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name.